So we continue with our sermon series on Jesus's teachings. Um, you know, each Sunday while I'm doing this, it just strikes me as, <laughs> we've been doing this all the time, right? Every Sunday is about Jesus's teachings, but we're trying to focus just really uh, in, in specific ways on, on things that Jesus said and what's the implication of what those are so that we can build um, a repository of lessons for ourselves to hold on to and walk with. And so we've, we've decided to, to dig into this endeavor and, and we've talked about pride and humility last week, Sabbath observance, right? We talked about uh, anxiety it, it, and dealing with anxiety has uh, somewhat to do with what we're talking about today, right? Uh, reconciling relationships we've talked about, judging and judgmentalism, faith and citizenship, loving your enemies, lots of topics. Um, today the topic is prayer, but it's, it's a little more specific in prayer in that it's Jesus' teachings about prayer that we should trust that God is going to answer prayer in good ways. So it's not just about the mechanics of prayer. It's about perhaps uh, the assumption of prayer, what, what underlies prayer. And in that respect, we're, we're dealing with uh, an enormous topic, aren't we? A topic of the of the millenniums, a topic of the cosmos, people from from other faiths, from all over the world, uh, people who don't see themselves as people of faith will say, oh my God, help me, right? They will pray. They will pray on occasion. And so we all seem to be praying people um, one way or another, one time or another. Those of us here uh, adhering to the Christian faith in this worship, well, we're a little bit more focused of, of praying people probably than the average bear running around. But it's a topic that's crossed the minds of probably all of us humans at one point or another. So we're going to go to Jesus a bit and, and try to get some, uh, some clarity on what uh, he might have been teaching us in Scripture. And, and just as I've been trying to do um, with this sermon series, I've wanted to spend just a moment on authenticity of the saying because we know that Jesus' sayings were passed on to us not by videotape recording or of eight track, but were passed on by oral history. Um, so what do the scholars feel about today's scripture? Well, interestingly, they give it a pretty high priority of being authentically Jesus. And, and maybe uh, weirdly from our point of view, because it's clearly an exaggeration for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who searches, finds. That exaggeration, they say, would not have been a typical saying. Jesus must have said this because it is an incredible exaggeration to get people's attention. Everyone, everyone who knocks, the door is open. Well, when Nancy knocks, I know the door is going to be open. Is it always open when I knock? Or that character down the street that hardly ever takes it? Well, really? Everyone, Jesus? 
everyone gets the sought-after outcome? Really? Well, so that's why they think it probably is Jesus' words, because that seems incredulous. And then the strong contrast of bread and stone and fish and snake. Again, that's, that's the kind of stuff that a good storyteller grabs hold of and says, and then that's remembered. And so they, they give this a pretty high, pretty high sense of, of truthfulness. You know, the, the, the fish, um, if, if you think of it as an eel, it very much seems to be like a fish, an eel's a fish. I was just reading Barkskins by, uh, who's that author? Um, well, I can't recall her name. It's called Barkskins and uh, Annie Pruel. Annie Pruel, and and it talks about the uh, the uh, lumbering of the of the Northeast and everything, and and the Native Americans and their subsistence on eels as a fish. Um, I don't think about eating eels, um, but apparently eels was a major part of a diet in our country and in the Middle East. So if if you change fish to eels, the the play on words, on image, kind of works. A flat stone, Mediterranean flat stone that, that kind of looks like bread or a long fish that kind of looks like a snake. Admonitions of ask, search, knock. That appears not only in Matthew, as you heard today, but it appears in Luke and it appears in the Gospel of Thomas. And so we would be very well advised to look at this not just as... Well, good thinking, but as divinely conveyed wisdom. So our question and our issue is, what do we do with these admonitions and what they say? So there's two parts in this. The first part are those imperatives based on three unconditional, unconditional promises. It's not conditioned, knock and have this type of faith or this depth of prayer life or this length of time of church going and you will receive. No, it's unconditional. Knock and it'll be open. Ask, right? When you think about that, that, that is perhaps the original beggar's wisdom is the terminology for it that encourages persistence. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, Keep on knocking, and eventually, eventually, the door will be open. You will get what you are seeking. Help will arrive. Now, you recall, Jesus told a story about the importune woman and the unjust judge, and persistence was the lesson of that story, wasn't it? Persist, persist, persist. Beggar's wisdom. She persists and she finally gets her justice that she was deserved. Now, I learned that in the Jewish tradition, there are expressions for prayer, and those expressions are asking, seeking, and knocking. That they're not three different actions as Jesus spoke it and as those around him heard it, they perhaps heard it as the general terminology for going to God in prayer. And prayer in the Jewish community was a quest, 
was uh, not an expectation. It was a process. It was a thing on which you journeyed with God rather than uh, having a thought and sitting down and saying, God, give this to me. Not a presenting of a shopping list, but more a character of a process. And so, so that's, where we're, that's where we're oftentimes at sixes and nines on the topic of prayer, is that so often we think that it is presenting uh, a wish list to the Santa Claus in the sky. And that's how it ought to work, right? And then we realize we're not getting that Nintendo game or we're, or we're not getting whatever is on that wish list. And we start to either wonder about how prayer works and that it doesn't work, or we're driven to a little more uh, nuanced, sublime, mature understanding of what prayer is about. It seems in our religious tradition, prayer is, a, is an orientation of ongoing discernment rather than a presenting of a wish list with a foregone conclusion that you get it. Not a persuading of God, but a living into the reality of God for us. I'm hoping these words I'm struggling with are going to make sense to you, to make sense out of the power of prayer. One of the commentators that I use often writes, the encouragement to bring human needs to God in prayer is not to inform or persuade God, but is an expression of the disciples' relation to God, an expression of our dependence, our being a dependent child, who ultimately is not in control of his or her own lives, but can live into the presence of God in his or her life and find things growing, altering, becoming. Prayer is, is the language of the relationship with God. It's the means of the conversation between the child and the father, mother, parent, God. The language of the conversation of the relationship. That would be the first part of, of this scripture. The relationship of God where we are children, and so we do ask kind of directly as a shopping list, but we need to realize that it's not really our presenting the shopping list that is what is dynamic in this conversation with God. It's the living into the relationship that you would have the chutzpah to talk to God and to try to identify what you sense to be 
what's needful in your life and around you. Now, the second part of what we had read this morning is that the further reason to pay attention here is that consistent prayer is based on our understanding of this relationship that indeed if, if humans could and would and do do good things to their children when their children request assistance, how much more? How much more would a helpful God, a loving God, be helpful? It's, it's, it's this assertion that changes the story from, from being just about human persistence to being a story also about God's providence, provision to God's children. And we talked about that in our, in our sermon on anxiety and worrying. Bread and fish are staples of the Galilean diet. Good human fathers, or mothers for that matter, are responsive are caring, and they would never respond to a child's request for food by saying, here's a stone, buddy, or for bread, here's a stone for food, here's a, uh, a snake. That kind of mocking is not what loving does, right? And we humans know that. And if we ever did that once to our kids, we'd never do it again because we would see the crestfallen look on their face and we would know that that was not funny, right? If, if, if by some weird thing we thought that was funny, we'd, we'd know right away that we just betrayed something that's fundamental to our relationship with that child. If we humans can do that kind of loving gesture, how much more would God be able to do that? Well, that's something to think about, isn't it? How would that love, though, be presented? How might it come to us? What would that provision look like? So if we, if we think about Jesus, Jesus' teachings, Got a couple of things here. One is that Jesus regarded God as a loving parent. You know, he often referred to God as daddy, as Abba, right? Jesus had an intimate relationship with God that he felt was best described as between a loving parent and a respectful child. Wouldn't you say that's true? Isn't that the gospel witness we have of Jesus? And so I would say the conversation between that loving God and respectful child, was candid. It was honest. It was full of hopes and aspirations. When he was exhausted dealing with people and he went off and to pray for hours, hopes and aspirations that he, he would be who God wanted him to be for these people, right? Imagine those moments. Hopes and aspirations yet with humility 
and obedience. I will walk the path you have put in front of me. Jesus trusted in God. He had, a, he had an absolute kind of assurance, a, a serene confidence in the goodness and the provision of God. In short, you would say that Jesus felt he could count on God for the fundamentals, for the basics, for the essential things of life. had an abiding trust in God that all would be well. Now, this is something really to think about because we, we have a passion week every year, don't we? Jesus had an abiding trust in God. Now, I imagine that Jesus skinned his knees on the rocks of the Galilean hillsides as a kid running around. I imagine that he got his share of painful splinters and hurt thumbs hammering on his finger rather than on the nail, as most all of us do on occasion as we learn a craft. And I can imagine that he, he probably prayed, help me get through uh, this walk up to this community, help me get through this job. Help me get through this mortaring. Help me get through this without killing myself, without hurting myself. I imagine that he mourned over the death of Joseph. We assume that Joseph died when Jesus was still on the younger side because he just drops out of the Gospels. Might be a wrong assumption, but it, it most likely is correct. And we imagine that Jesus was pained by that, I imagine Jesus had some prayers, perhaps even as Joseph was dying, had some prayers for Joseph not to die. Do you think? What was the prayer life of that eight or 12 or 18 or 24 year old? He may have had some real concerns about his siblings. As, as we look back on what the Gospels tell us, uh, James caught on, but he had more brothers and we think sisters than James. What happened to the rest of them? What were they like as the ministry was unfolding? I'm just trying to say to you, I think Jesus probably had a textured prayer life of a human in that he was incarnate, right? He probably had prayers somewhat similar to maybe you and I as situations presented themselves. From Scripture, we know that he was a praying person who deeply trusted God with his life and his eternal well-being. We can imagine that even for Jesus, prayer was more, more nuanced than just submitting a list of requests for immediate action. And if you really want to explore this, think a little bit about his prayer of anguish at Gethsemane that, that we turn to often during our observance of Passion Week, of Holy Week. What's going on there? In which he prayed for the cup of suffering and death to bypass him. Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. 
he's remembered as saying in Mark. All things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, it says in Luke. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So this teaching on prayer from Jesus comes with an awareness that what we humans might give prayerful voice to is perhaps not always in our best interest or in God's intent for us. And in recognizing that, we are somehow to be at peace about that. Trusting God's love and provision. Obeying God's will and purpose. So Jesus encourages us to ask, to seek, to knock, to persist in prayer, and even gives us a model for that prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, right? Yet we do this praying with humility and obedience to God. With a willingness to embrace the response. We should have no hesitance to pray, no doubt about its appropriateness for us to pray. Jesus often prayed, and he prayed earnestly, and we should do the exact same things about our cancer, about our children, our grandchildren, about the way of the world, the budget, being able to hit that note when it's just our voice in front of thousands of other people, we should pray without hesitance. We should pray often, and we should pray authentically over our situations and our concerns. We should give voice to those concerns, even if they do sound like a shopping list. We should give voice to those concerns and try to plumb the depths of why those concerns are our concerns in prayer. Why do I need that Jaguar? Why am I praying for that, really? That A on the test or that whatever. Jesus invites prayer. He encourages prayer. We should pray with an intimacy to God, counting on the fact that God knows us, that we are in relationship with God, counting on God's presence and attentiveness to us, that God would know the yearnings of our hearts and our minds, even if we can't put them into words. God's will for and God's loving care of 
creation of creatures of God's children of us. Jesus asserts this trust is not ill-advised and it's not poorly placed. And we should pray with humility that recognizes that we ourselves are not God. And we don't know the whole of it. Perhaps we don't even know the half of it, of our lives and our circumstances. Recognizing the answers to prayers may not be the wished-for outcomes. We, we will benefit, though, by accepting and having an obedient spiritual spirit. Jesus seems to assure us that the pathway of real faith to spiritual centeredness and, and a balanced life in the craziness of the world is prayer, a dynamic relationship with God that we can count on, that we rely on, that we live into, we live out of as we go about our lives. To me, it seems to be a matter of attitude. Are you entitled or are you grateful? Are you fully centered on self or are you centered on God? Listen to Jesus and climb into God's loving embrace. Amen.